kind of thing. And that's why I'm inviting you today to Acts chapter 15. Uh, we've been studying in Acts chapter 15, and what a wonderful chapter it is because it has so much to reveal to us. How many of you have read Acts chapter 15 before, just in your studies? Just raise your hand so I can see. Yeah. You, you, you're familiar with Acts chapter 15 a little bit, so that when I talk to you about it today, you're not totally ignorant of Acts chapter 15. Okay, we can assume that for the most part. But there may be those in the audience who are not familiar with Acts chapter 15. They just simply don't know what's happening there. And I want to bring you up to snuff just a little bit about just where we are with the church. The church of our Lord started in Acts chapter 2. It was around A.D. 33 that Peter preached the first gospel sermon. And on that day, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. Now, that church that started on the day of Pentecost was not every church that you see in the world today. With all the different names and titles and categories, what started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was the Lord's church. It was his. It wasn't John the Baptist's church. It wasn't the Wesley's church. It wasn't Elijah Muhammad's church. These people hadn't even been born yet. The one that started in Acts 2 was the Lord's church. And he had promised to build that church in Matthew chapter 16 when one of the apostles named Peter admitted at Jesus' question, which was, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? As Jesus walked the earth, he was concerned about what people thought about him and who he was. If they had any understanding of him and his mission. And the disciples began to say to him, well, some say, that you are Elijah. Some say that you are Jeremiah. Others say that you are one of the prophets, which was a slap in the face of Jesus. Much more than a prophet, the son of God. So he says, well, they have some problems with that and who they think I am, but you who have been with me, for the last two and a half, three years, who do you think I am? You've been with me every day. Who do you think I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. Not a prophet. Not just a regular old anybody. Thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. And Peter admitted that day that Jesus was the Christ. And when he said that, Jesus said to him, and blessed art thou, Simon, the son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you. In other words, you're not so smart that you figured this out by yourself. All of the others that you've asked the question were wrong, but you've given the correct answer, but you need to understand that it didn't come from you. You're not so smart enough that you figured that out. He said, flesh and blood didn't tell you this, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you so that you can announce to the world and the other apostles here today who I truly am. 
the Lord's church then began. That church that he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Peter, based on this truth that you've confessed, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church begins in the singular. And it existed throughout the book of Acts in the singular. And it still remains singular today. No matter how many people say, well, that church is a representation of all churches. That's your opinion. That's not biblical truth. Jesus built the church, and what happened with the Lord's church is the same thing that happens with so many organizations today. When folk don't like what's going on, they break away from the church and go out and start their own. And see, if you don't like what the Lord is doing, that's, that's a possibility for you to break away and get your own little group of believers and call yourself whatever you'd like to call yourself and make your own rules and regulations, but God never intended it that way. God wants us all to be one. And it is amazing to me that people of all persuasions can read the word of God and not come out of it believing the same thing, but you can read the driver's manual and come out believing the same thing. That puzzles me. When you finish that manual, you better come out believing the same thing I believe because they're going to give you a test on it. And on that test, they don't ask you about your opinion. What do you think you ought to do when you're approaching a yellow light? They don't ask you that. Because they're not concerned about what you think you ought to do. They say in order to obey the laws of this city, when you approach this light, you will do this. You will pause. You will break. Nobody has any understanding that, or misunderstanding that. But when Jesus says upon the truth of Peter's confession that he would build his church singular, not plural. He didn't say, I'm going to build some churches and all of them can feel any way they want to feel and practice whatever they want to practice. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to set the rules. I'm going to set the regulations. I'm going to determine who will be in it and who will not. You don't. Because we've never paid the price for a church. The price of a church is blood, folk. Not a mortgage not money in the bank, not can you buy a building because the building was never the church. The price of the church is the blood that was shed for it. As Paul told those elders in Ephesus before he left in Acts chapter 20, you need to oversee the church of God, which he has purchased. The church has a purchasing price with his own blood. Having laid that foundation, by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, a lot of things have happened in the church. We find, number one, that wherever the gospel, the good news about Christ's sacrifice for us was being preached, there were problems. Somebody disagreed with Peter and John. They criticized Paul and Barnabas. Every time the gospel was preached, the devil had his influence. 
on people and cause them to not obey the gospel in many instances. And that's what I want to just spend a little time on this morning. That whole idea of the setbacks in the church and dealing with disagreements. In Acts chapter 15, we find two major disagreements. One, in the beginning of the chapter, in verses 1 and 2, deals with a principle. It's disagreement over a principle. Because what's happening in Acts chapter 15, according to verses 1 and 2, the Bible says certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, that is, those of the Gentile persuasion, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here are people who lived continually under the law who were still observing the law of Moses even as it was being changed, saying to those who wanted to come into the church, you can't come in and be saved unless you become circumcised like Jews have been required to do ever since the beginning. Now, I, I want to tell you what that, what that sounds like. See, because that's basic legalism. Legalism says that the person who is legalistic makes no distinction between his opinion and the gospel truth. To that person, his opinion is the gospel truth. I read a sign the other day as I was on my way here that said God's way is the highway. The highway is God's way. So it's not God's way or the highway. God's way is the highway. Well, in this regard, those who are legalistic through the devil's influence try to hinder people from obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why I had verses 19 and 20 read this morning from Acts chapter 15 because it's very important there that we notice that what James said to these people was that it's important that you don't trouble those from among the Gentiles who are being saved. Those who are wanting to turn to the Lord, don't trouble these people. And what they were doing was troubling them by placing a yoke on their necks that said, if you're going to be saved along with us, then you need to be circumcised. Well, that was true under the old law, but Jesus was changing that. Even as they were speaking, it was being changed. And in this decision that the brethren reached, they said unto them, no, you don't need to be saddled with that kind of yoke around your neck with circumcision. That was part of the ordinances, the ceremonial laws that were observed by the people of old. But Peter went on and James went on to tell them as well that the Lord has changed this thing now. And those who are coming in who happen to be Gentiles are not going to be saved any differently than we have been saved. Peter said, we witness these people. We witness these people receive the Holy Ghost just like we did. They were saved the same way that we were saved. They're going to be, God hasn't made any distinction between us. And because of that, 
Some of those Pharisees there wanted to harm those brothers because they were not dealing with opinions. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about opinions. But I want you to understand what these people were saying in a legalistic sense. Let's, let's suppose that in our churches today, let's suppose that we have a situation where there is a disagreement. And the disagreement has to do with how we worship. Okay? I want you to listen to this because, you see, everybody has an opinion. And there's nothing wrong with an opinion. But it's yours. It's not the truth. Your opinion doesn't constitute the truth. There are people who have fallen out because of differences of opinion. Now, let me, let me show you how that sounds. Suppose that two, uh, two Christians who disagreed over the worship when we're singing came together. And one says to the other, I don't think that when we worship on Sunday mornings, we should have clapping. People shouldn't clap because Sunday morning ought to be a time of reverence. And the second Christian brother says, well, no, I think Sunday morning ought to be a time of joy and rejoicing in the Lord. And then the first brother comes back and says, well, but the Bible says that God's house is to be a house of prayer. Second says, well, yeah, but the Bible also says that Sunday is a time of celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We go back to the first brother who says, the Bible also says, be still and that I am God. To which the second brother answers, it also says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, if you could follow that, which of them is right? And which is wrong? Well, I submit to you that they both are right. But they simply don't have the right to give their opinion about what that means. And to dictate to somebody who may be sitting next to you and may have a fit of joy and clap their hands that they've done something that will put their salvation in jeopardy. There's a difference, folks, between doing things that are inappropriate and doing things that will lose your soul. And we're not in a position to tell anybody who sits there and claps during the singing of a song, you going to hell. Or if you don't clap, you going to hell. You can't be saved. That's legalism. And that's what would was threatening to tear up the early church. See how the devil is? He wanted to get the church in its infancy while people were still weak and they didn't know the way. The devil would sneak in there and put some, something in the drink. <laughs> something that will influence you not to do the right thing. Let me, let me tell you how that looks today. Let's say you teaching somebody about the trueness of the, the truthfulness of the scriptures, and they get to the place where they say, I'm ready to become a member of the body of Christ. 
And you say, okay, well, we need to get to the church building where the pool is and dip you in that water so that you can come in contact with the blood of Jesus. Because it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from your sin. So you, now you can't even be added to the body yet until you're baptized. And you've been cleansed of all your sins. And the way the scripture says we do that is through baptism. But you first got to repent. Which means you've got to change your mind about the kind of life you've been living. And start living a new life. Now, here's where we go astray. Now, now, now after we baptize you, when you come to church on Sunday, don't wear these Jordans you got on. Because, see, we don't wear sneakers to worship. And, and, and if you're a young lady, don't wear those hooped earrings. Because we don't wear those. Or if, if you're going to come and worship with us, you're going to have to change the color of your hair. Because that red just ain't doing it. Can you hear the legalism in that? When you come on Sunday, make sure you have a clean, pressed, white shirt and a towel. You being legalistic. You don't have any right to tell anybody to do that. And even if they're sitting there stinking, why are you teaching them? You can't insist that anybody freshen up before they get here. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, my God, I got sitting next to somebody stinking. That ain't the worst problem you got. Some of us would put Jesus out if he showed up here today. I'm telling you, if we didn't know who he was, and maybe some, even if you know who he is, would say, Jesus, you know better to come here like that. She goes, Jesus would walk in with, no doubt, a robe on that he's been wearing for months. Hair that has been out in the weather. That's uncombed. Some of us wouldn't like that about Jesus. I've heard people say, don't wear no flip-flops to church. That's your opinion. And I've heard people say, you know, it, baby, and you ain't got no more than that, I'll take you out and buy you something to wear. For what? To be in agreement with your opinion? Ain't nothing right about that. And I believe that we as a church are experiencing some of the same things that they were experiencing in Acts chapter 15. We try to lay people, lay burdens on people that we have no right. Here are people who are struggling to become members of the body and here we are meeting them with a list of demands. Do this, do that, do this, do that before you get here. No wonder some folks say, class over. You trying to judge me. You don't have a right because I've chosen to submit myself to baptism to tell me how to live like you approve of. And see, that's what these Jews were telling Paul and Barnabas about these Gentiles. See, we don't really want them anyway. 
So here's something we can put in their way as a stop blocker. Tell them they got to be circumcised. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll tell, them they, tell them they can't worship with us and be saved unless they do things the way we do things. Folks, like we all disagree. To live in this world is to disagree because disagreements are as common as living. If you're living, you're going to have some disagreements. Now, there are two major disagreements. The first is over that principle that I just spoke with you about, and the second is over an opinion. Paul didn't have a whole lot of arguments with folks, but this speaks of Paul in one chapter having two sharp arguments with people. Now, we all disagree. I mean, moms and dads disagree. Children disagree with their parents. The Bible teaches us that there was some disagreement among Jonathan and Saul. There were disagreements among Miriam, uh, between Miriam and Aaron and Moses. They had some disagreement. They had some differences of opinion. There was a disagreement of opinion between Jesus and Peter. In Matthew 26, Jesus told Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, Lord. See, Jesus was telling him that. Peter was giving him his opinion. What he was saying, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'll ever do that, Lord. But you know what? None of us can speak authentically about what we will or won't do in the future. You can always talk about what you did yesterday, but you can't talk about what you're going to do tomorrow. Let tomorrow get here first. Mm-hmm. As many can attest, as they get ready for Sunday morning service on Saturday night, hoping that everything's going to be all right and then get up early Sunday morning and it's raining cats and dogs. Oh, Lord, the one who said, I'm going to service in the morning, may look out the window and say, Lord, I think I'll go tonight. You ever said that to yourself? And use that as an excuse. It's raining now. I'll go tonight. The same service is there tonight. So I can go tonight and just cover up and go on back to sleep. Because it's raining. I want to go at a time when I don't have to get wet. You legalistic individual, you. Folk, we don't have any right to tell folk how they ought to do anything that the Bible doesn't speak to directly. Don't wear no lipstick. And if you do, don't wear no certain color lipstick. You know what that says? We are focused on the outward appearance. But the scriptures teaches us that God looks on the heart of a man. And probably some of the people who stand most justified in his sight are the ones who are dressed the way we would put them out. Surely the Gentiles and the Jews, when they first saw Jesus, snickered. Here's a man that's calling himself the Messiah, riding into the city on a donkey. Everybody knows kings don't ride donkeys. You ought to have a white stallion with a hundred troops behind you. The Bible says Jesus allowed himself to be handled by them. 
What king would allow himself to be handled by his subjects? To be spat on by his subjects? To be cursed by his subjects? To be slapped by his subjects? To be crucified by his subjects? That's why Solomon had a problem with Jesus. I'm telling you, if he showed up today, he wouldn't meet our standards. We are the church. Mm-hmm. And there's just certain things we don't allow up in him. <laughs> I guarantee you there's some of you sitting right here this morning who've had a disagreement with each other over something that doesn't matter and are still nursing some open wounds over that disagreement. Isn't that a shame? We're not talking about facts. We're talking about opinions. Somebody said, if you want to know a man better, disagree with him. Disagree. And folk will show you who they are in a heartbeat. See, because some people can't let you have your own opinion. They always have an opinion that's different from yours. And there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong with that. Because all of us have opinions. It's when we become disagreeable because of that opinion. There are some folk who stop liking each other because they don't agree on one or two things. Don't speak because they disagreed on something. There's some, there's some, hold on now. Don't get sticky. There are some who are Auburn and Alabama fans who disagree about who's the greatest. And because you have a difference of opinion, have a problem with each other. I'll give you a perfect example. I was sitting in the barber shop the other day. And a guy passed by who normally comes in during the week and sells commodities. Air fresheners for your car. That kind of thing. And he came in and rolled his buggy in. And when he came in the door, everybody knows him. He said, War Eagle! And the guy sitting next to me is an Alabama fan. He said, oh, no. This, these were his words. You don't come in here cussing like that. You don't come into a mixed audience cussing like that. Because what you just said to me is a cuss word. Now, here's the part of it that he didn't get. You, you don't come in trying to sell something to folk, announcing who you fought before you asked them to buy. Because this guy said, I ain't spending a dollar with you. The guy, he told him that. He said, you need to go back to management 101. That's the wrong thing to do. Now, if you want to come in and sell your goods and on the way out the door, yeah, war eagle, then that's a whole lot better sense. But he came in saying it through the door. 
And then after he heard the guy say that, he said, well, I was just, just give me a little doubt. Guys, I ain't giving you nothing. <laughs> Some folk take that more seriously than they do biblical matters. Now, I hope to God that none of us have sunk to that level where we have an opinion about a football team that's affecting our relationship with somebody else. That would be sad, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a shame before God? Lord have mercy. We mad each other over something that doesn't matter, a hill of beans. Well, that's what these folk were doing. Paul and Barnabas were among those who had a disagreement. Their disagreement was over an opinion. Over an opinion. John Mark, who had left them earlier in this first missionary journey, no matter why he left, some say he may have been homesick, he missed his mama, he was scared because it was treacherous, whatever it may have been, before they even got halfway through the first missionary journey, John Mark said, I'm going back home. I thank God for John Mark. At least he was courageous enough to say, I'm going home. He didn't sneak out in the middle of the night to leave them to figure out what happened to him. He didn't blame them. Y'all not treating me right, so I'm going back home. The Bible says he just left. Sometimes when we start this journey, folks, people will put pressures on you that will cause you to leave if you don't understand. And the Bible says this second sharp contention in Acts 15 between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that they couldn't reach a decision other than to separate. Isn't that something? Over a personal opinion. Because neither of them were wrong. Paul, you know Paul. Paul was that kind of guy who when he started something, he stayed with it. When he was persecuting the church, he said, I persecuted the church with zeal because I felt that I was doing what was right. And then when he found out what was right, he latched on to that and showed the same zeal that he did when he was persecuting the church. But I want to remind you that Paul has forgotten that when he came to Jesus, when he came, when he went through his conversion, it was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I like Barnabas. He was among the ones who went out and sold his property and came and laid the money at the apostles' feet so that everybody could have what they needed. That's the kind of person Barnabas was. Paul didn't deal with shortcomings too much. So Paul was well within his right to say, we're getting ready to go back and we're going to strengthen the congregations that we've established. And uh, Barnabas said, that's a wonderful thing. Let's do it. But let's take John Mark with us this time. And Peter, uh, Paul blew a gasket. <laughs> Paul said, under no, under no circumstances. But the, the Bible says he got shocked. That means they're they in the heat of an argument. It's, it's gone beyond, I disagree. You know what I'm saying? That, that, they've gotten to the point where you're in each other's face. 
sharp. They may have even been pointing their fingers at each other. I don't care what you say, Paul says, he's not going with us. And Barnabas says, and I don't care what you say, I believe he ought to go with us. And they couldn't resolve that thing. Barnabas was dealing from his feelings. Because John Mark was a relative. And he was close to him. He was a friend. He wanted to see him redeem himself. And Paul says, he wanted to find somebody else to do it with. Because he's not going with me. He's a deserter as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not going to put myself in a position to be deserted by him again. And the Bible says what they finally decided. And I'm going to tell you how the Lord works. The Lord wouldn't allow them to reach a consensus and one changed his mind because out of one missionary team came two. Out of one came two. They found another way to compromise. Paul says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take Silas with me. Barnabas said, I'll take John Mark. And you know the Bible doesn't record that Paul and Barnabas work together again. That rift between them was that meaningful. They never worked together again. But thank God. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, John Mark must have done something because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Paul said to Timothy, bring John Mark to me. When you see John Mark, he said, oh, Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world. Some of the others who were helping me have gone to other places. He says, so when you come, get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable for the ministry. Somewhere along the line, Paul dealt with his own attitude and how it may have hindered this young man. I don't know what it went like with Barnabas and John Mark, but they must have had an all right time. Because the word got back so that Paul, in his later life, when he is almost ready to be offered up, he says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And then for those he wanted around him, even at his death, he says, get John Mark. Oh, I love the way that ends. But folk, I want to say something to you, and I'll complete this tonight. Someone has said that, you know, disagreements and opinions can change a relationship. Doesn't make any difference what kind of relationship it is. Opinions and disagreements have destroyed marriages have destroyed families, have destroyed organizations, have destroyed, in many instances, the church, simply because of differences of opinion. And we need to understand when there are differences of opinion, number one, that it is inevitable, but that we're going to have disagreements. 
as long as we're living, we're going to have disagreements. Where are you going to go where you're not going to find somebody to disagree with you? On the simplest things. To some people, this day is a sunny day. To others, it's cloudy. Now, what you going to do? All over? You're going to try to beat somebody into submission to accept your opinion? Opinions and disagreements are inevitable. Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus taught his disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. It's impossible that you're going to sit together and have a conversation and not disagree about something. But the way you handle it, the way you handle it, some folks get ugly with you. I thought you had more sense than to think like that. Oh, we've stopped conversating now. And we start talking about and judging each other. I thought you were more educated than that. For real? You being legalistic. It's impossible that offenses will, but that offenses will come, but warn to those through whom they come. See, we can have a difference of opinion and not offend each other. But how many times have you had a difference of opinion with somebody and they walk away with you like, walk away with that look that says, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, we done. What we had is no more because of a difference of opinion. Hmm. It's inevitable. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, here's what Paul said to the church. Listen to this. For there must be also heresies, mm -hmm. dissension, divisions. Paul says they have to be. When you come together as a church, it's inevitable that you're going to have some differences of opinion. Sometimes those differences of opinion will morph into arguments. And those arguments will morph into physical attacks. But it all starts with anger. Because somebody won't see your side of something. He says it's inevitable, but there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest. See, you don't know who the real children of God are until you experience some difficulties in the church. Mm -hmm. when, surf, when problems surface and people say, well, I'm going over there because they have too many problems over here. I'm so tired of these folks. I don't know what to do. Well, if you're not talking about something that's biblical, guess what? Wherever you're going, you're going to find the same thing because you're dealing with folk who have a difference of opinion. Get used to it. What do you do when somebody differs with you in opinion? Do you just say what you ought to say? Well, that's your opinion, and you're entitled to it. I got a different opinion, and I'm entitled to mine. But I'm going to tell you, some folk will monkey stomp you. Is that a word? Monkey stomp you until you change your mind to agree with their opinion. 
Sad, isn't it? You ought to be shaking your head. We need to shake our head. Lord, have mercy. And then here's the other thing as I finish. Disagreements, sometimes sharp disagreements, are dangerous. They're dangerous. If you put D in front of anger, you got danger. Every time you get angry, there's danger. So you need to know that about folks. If you can just say one thing to somebody and they go flying off the roof, then that lets you know. I'm going to back off of this right now. Because I got some things to tell you about me that if that blew your mind, this going to show enough blow your mind. <laughs> I like the way we get quiet when folks start talking about what we've done. But you know what? We ain't all been pretty like this. Oh, Lord, thank God they don't know what we've been doing. But God knows. And I'm so glad he didn't leave my fate in your hands. Because, see, you try to make me live the way you want me to live. Because that's your opinion. This is the way you grew up. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.16, shun profane and vain babblings, for they increase unto more ungodliness. Don't sit around with this just nonsensical talk. You know, there's no point. And then end up arguing over things. In Romans chapter 14, the, 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 the apostle that we're talking about today told the church at Rome, him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubtful disputations. Don't, don't, don't go writing a law for other people based on your experiences. Well, you know, you weak. So you, you ain't got no business doing this and this and this and this. Wait until this and this and this is right. And then you do it. It's all right what you're trying to help them with. But you have to keep in mind that what you're telling them is your opinion. And that theirs carries as much weight as yours. And then finally, disagreements, even though they're dangerous, they are solvable. They're solvable. We can solve disagreements but it's going to take some humility. Someone has said there are 12 words that will keep any family or relationship together. I want you to write them down. 12 words that we need to start practicing if we haven't already that will keep your marriage together, that will keep the church together, that will keep your relationship together with friends, that will keep the, the home life together. And those 12 words are, I was wrong. Put the first, the hardest one first, didn't it? I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Practice those 12 words. Whenever your relationship is on the rocks, whatever relationship it is, 
And even when we come to Christ today, he demands that we do the same thing. This is not about your opinion. It's about facts. When you come, though, come admitting, Lord, I'm wrong. Not them. Not my family. I'm wrong. And that's why I'm coming today. I'm wrong. I'm sorry I'm wrong. That's all we're doing when we come to Christ. We're saying in essence, Lord, I just found out that I participated in a murder. Say that again. When you hear the truth the way you really ought to hear it, that's what'll come to your mind. Lord, I, I came today because I just found out that I participated in a murder. I participated in your crucifixion. Without even knowing about it, I was with them, so I'm guilty. I'm sinful, so I'm guilty. I'm a participant. And when I found it out, I had to come and tell you I'm sorry. I was wrong and I'm sorry. And I want you to forgive me. Some folk can't ask for forgiveness. I told you a few weeks ago, sometimes being a real true friend to somebody means that you may have to forgive them even when they didn't ask to be forgiven. Sometimes you're going to have to accept apologies that have never been worded to you. Sometimes people can't bring themselves to say, I was wrong. Sometimes they do what Peter did. They just go out and weep bitterly. When somebody weeps bitterly, that may be all you're going to get. That may be the closest you get to an apology. The closest you'll get to I was wrong. Forgive me. And then end with this. I'm doing this because I love you. I've learned how to get over myself. I want to ask you this morning, when you state your opinion on anything, do you think the rest of the world is supposed to listen to you? Or do you give people the same right to have an opinion that you have? And if not, why not? What makes you so special? Okay. All right. A man was on his deathbed. He was a wealthy man. Just to show you that we all have some kind of disagreements and we'll take them with them to our grave. You'll be disagreeing at the funeral. Some people are going to have differences of opinion as to how you ought to be buried, what you ought to be dressed in, what color the casket ought to be, what cemetery you're taking them to. You're going to cremate them or you're not going to cremate them. Those are the kind of things that tear up funeral families, bereaved families. And some folks don't have anything to do with the rest of their family because they didn't follow my, see, I told them. If we had gone to such and such cemetery, we wouldn't be having to step over all these rocks and bricks. And man and his wife, Bertha, were talking. He was a wealthy man, had plenty of cars. He said, baby, 
the time is coming near. I know I'm dying. He said, I want to set some things in order in my will before I die. He said, I, I've decided that I want to give the Mercedes to George. And his wife said, no, I don't think you ought to give it to George. George won't take care of it. Uh, give it to Tommy. Tommy will take care of it. And he said, well, all right. All right, I can do that. He said, I've decided to give my Rolls Royce to Linda, my, 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 my child. Linda, I love that girl. And her mama said, the, the, the mother said, no, no, don't give it to Linda. Give that to Johnny. She's not going to take care. She don't even know how to drive. And he said, well, okay. Lastly, he said, I, I've decided to give the Volvo to Vivian because I think she'll do well at that. And she said, well, no, no. Bertha said, no, I don't. I don't. He got so tired. He said, Bertha, who's dying, me or you? <laughs> a lot of our disagreements bring us to that kind of place where you think it's a matter of life and death. Folk, your opinion is not a matter of life and death in any way. But if you hear this morning, I tell you what will work. I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. That's what you ought to be saying to the Lord as you walk up this morning, no matter what your reason. Right. I've discovered I've been complicit in a crime against the Lord. Mm -hmm. Will you come right now?